So let's review. I did this a couple years ago. I had this slide, a dichotomous view of man. How do we understand man? And isn't man, it's a heart, soul, and mind, right? We're saying the same thing, heart, soul, mind, and body. And when is man divorced from that physical body? That happens at death. And that's uh, Luke 23, 39 through 40. What did Christ tell the thief on the cross? He said, today you're going to be with me where? Paradise. But where was he going? He's going to get buried that day. I mean, that thief was definitely dying that day, but he was definitely going to be where? In paradise. So he had that, that I'm going to call it, you know, what we should theologically understand it is this tragic separation of body and soul. When do they come back together? Resurrection. And then Christ proved that with his resurrection three days later. So body and soul. So some examples in the medical world, or not even medical world. Hey, we're in we're in a regular world here. Anxiety and worry. So what are some of the symptoms, physical symptoms that y'all know that someone who worries a lot or someone who's very anxious? What what might they be experiencing with the body? Rapid heart rate. Yeah, can't sleep. Ulcers. Stress. Yeah, any others? Metabolic syndrome. They lose their health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, panic attacks. Can't breathe. The palpitations. Um, digestive. Some people have a lot of uh, digestive woes. Did you know you can actually have a legitimate heart attack? From stress. We call it Takasubo. Takasubo. It's a Japanese name. But essentially the stress makes the coronary artery spasm go down. So we'll think this this patient is having a huge coronary right now. And we'll run to the hospital. We're we're doing the angiogram to balloon it, open it, and then when we get there it's there's they have a perfect heart, perfect vessels. But we know the damage was was there. We saw the the heart protein enzymes in the blood, like we know there was heart damage. This was a heart attack, but there's nothing there blocking the flow. And uh, I had a patient that had that last month. Hadn't had one in a few years, and then I had one have that last month, all from just extreme anxiousness. So we're very familiar, you know, with uh, the heart and the body uh, connections. And I would say sexuality from both genders just slams into this reality force as well. And we need to kind of understand that, that certainly there can be a a biological, physical thing going on, um, but there's most certainly a a, a spiritual and emotional component as well. So we should really think of when there's uh, problems in the bedroom, uh, seeing that kind of in a spectrum of these two things. It could be largely physical. It could be largely spiritual. I'm probably going to say that it's probably in most situations some combination of the two, one way or the other. So just definitions, male sexual dysfunction, a series of conditions, most notably erectile dysfunction, but also Peyronie's disease and premature ejaculation defined by impaired sexual functioning. Uh, Peyronie's is like an injury, usually middle age between 30 and 50. It's an organ injury that creates an abnormal curvature of problems where 
um, uh, sexual function becomes difficult. But for this talk, because it's just, and that's not all that common, uh, but what's very common is, is ED. So when I use the acronym ED, that's what I'm talking about. And sexual dysfunction, I'll use SD. So ED is defined as trouble getting or keeping an erection that's adequate enough for sex. We'll call that ED uh, for short. So epidemiology. Epidemiology is what we use when we're talking about who is this affecting and then how many. So we can make pie charts and things like this. You know, is it affected men or women or different, you know, cultures or different countries? Uh, and then how many? What proportion? You know, that's what epidemiology is. This study from 87 to 89, 18, oh, I'm sorry, 1700 uh, men between ages and 40 and 70 had a 52% rate of erectile dysfunction. Let me say that again. 52%. That is really high. That is really, really high. Uh, and it was strongly associated, we know this, age, health status, and emotional state. Journal of Sexual Medicine, November 2004, was looking at men that are actually younger. So we're looking at men less than 40, and they found 22%. That's nearly a quarter. We usually think about this as just being, you know, old man thing. No, that's a, this is a quarter of young men. We have... Different causes. I'm going to I'm going to group some of these in mind, soul causes, spiritual causes. I'm going to clump some in in uh, medical, but they're actually going to interact, especially when we get to the medical. And I'll explain that in a minute. But in the group that's less than 40, it is probably when I said, "Hey, it's this spectrum like this." It's going to be more likely, and it just makes sense that it's going to be a little bit more of the conscience, or a little bit more emotions, or stress, or spiritual issue, and less likely to be into the physical, although there are exceptions. And I'll, I'll mention a couple examples uh, here in a minute. So some of those causes um, from the Journal of Sexual Medicine in 2020, this is about 800 people. This was men and women, but a much higher incidence of sexual dysfunction for both sexes with a history of childhood sexual abuse or with those with a history of PTSD. Also, history of bullying is going to increase the risk of ED, low confidence, low self-worth, may we say self-pity or feelings of grief and sadness. Other causes, marriage dysfunction, or shall we say sin within that marriage, exactly what we were speaking of in the last one. And stress and anxiety are really, really big inducers of ED. So let's look at this real quick. We're going to jump ahead. Do you remember this from high school biology? Sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems? Do I remember the sympathetic being the fight or flight response? So this is really the symptoms y'all just told me about when we were talking about stress and worry, right? So uh, you get this fight or flight. So there goes the heart rate, you know, the the blood goes to the muscles and it gets away from the gut. The pupils dilate and you are ready to either run away or put up a fight for your life. Correct. And then the parasympathetic response. That is your rest and digest. So sympathetic S think stress. Parasympathetic P think peace. But when you're resting and digesting. So sexual function actually relates more and is motivated by the parasympathetic nervous system. 
when that sympathetic nervous system is angry and raging, uh, it actually shuts sexual function down, turns it off, shuts it down. So someone who is in this state of lots of anxiety, lots of worries, um, uh, one thing they, they tell me often in the clinic is, Doc, I'm just overwhelmed. And it's just wave after wave. And, and it's usually there's family issues and there's uh, maybe some work issues and, and maybe there's some expectation issues. Maybe there's some kid issues and maybe they're staying up late to do this and the 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 schedules at home are going in different directions. And sometimes they just call it being overwhelmed. So often in this, what we're going to call uh, spiritual mind uh, ED, is because of the sympathetic nervous system being in this flight, fight or flight response. <clears throat> Another one that's uh, incredibly common is fear of failure, fear of failure SD. So what happens here is someone's had a, we're going to just call it a, 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 a sexual in, uh, experience with the spouse, and it didn't go well. Wasn't able, we're just going to say, wasn't able to finish. For whatever reason, and it created um, uh, stress, anxiety. Uh, it didn't go well for for uh, uh, man or woman, and we can get into we can see men fall into this cycle right here. So let's walk through this cycle. If we go to the bottom, erectile dysfunction at the bottom. So that's you know let's just pretend this this is when in our patient this is where we had a uh, a failure episode. Move over to the left. And you see this anticipatory anxiety. Otherwise, next time there's this fear that this is going to happen again. What is that? That sympathetic nervous system gets activated out of fear. What does that do? Shuts things down. So what happens next? Now we're avoiding because it creates a problem. What does that create? Less intimacy. And that intimacy can may not just be what's going on in the, in the bedroom, but it can be emotional, social, intellectual, recreational. It's just there's intimacy. In, there could be intimacy problems in the relationship that we get on this cycle. Then you get into this distrust, feeling unloved. And then if we finally get back to a, a, a bedroom moment, it might just happen again because and it just creates this what? We get into this vicious cycle. Other things to consider that are causes, sin causes, pornography addiction. This 2021 study, so not that old, 3,400 people. um, This was in the younger men as well. That's why it says 22%. So this was a study of young men, and it was 20% instance of ED. However, pornographic consumption had the highest levels in the subsets, had the highest level of that ED. Absolutely uh, associated. And then um, masturbation. Uh, the studies were mixed on that one. So some said it mattered, some said it didn't, so I didn't cite a specific one. I would say that there, it is very possible that that is a problem as well. Social media addiction. This one of 702 men, this was, this was done last month, I just found this study, but these were people in their 20s, and the amount of social media consumption actually caused ED as well. 
when everything else was balanced, it was a causative factor. Okay, so let's get to the biological. So I'm going to call it biological or medical causes. Some of these will overlap. We'll talk about it. Um, but age. Let me, let me, let me uh, ask you a question that I often ask in clinic when I'm just talking to someone uh, about their blood pressure. What is the number one risk factor for high blood pressure? Anybody know? I get stress. Some people say obesity. What's that? Your, yeah, genetics, uh, what you eat, salt intake, that's one, how, how little or much you exercise. It's age. Ah, it was right before us. Is that obvious? Yeah, yeah. I will admit, yes, when I heard that, and I was already a doctor when they told me that, I was like, oh, my God, that's right. Of course, <laughs> it's actually how old you are. Uh, of course, we know why, because the, the vessels age. They get a little stiff, and our blood pressure starts going up. Do any 10-year-olds take blood pressure medicines? Don't know any. Currently, I have none. But uh, do 80-year-olds? Sure. Yeah, maybe half of them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very common. Um, but that's that's uh, certainly a risk factor for lots of things as we get older. I have, I've got patients that uh, they tell me uh, funny things in the office all the time like, Doc, getting old hurts. Or... Getting old is not for the faint of heart. You got to be tough to be this old. I get all kinds, of, you know, they tell me all kinds of jokes and love it. Uh, nicotine, cannabis. Uh, if you're smoking cannabis regularly, you have a two times more higher incidence of ED. If you're smoking cannabis regularly, alcohol use is interesting. This is a huge study. Urology, urologia, <laughs> urologia. Internalis, so this was a Latin American study, over, and this was a meta-analysis. They were looking at 46 studies and just pulling that information, but 216,000 uh, participants. But this is what they found, this J-graft. So let me explain what you're looking at. <clears throat> so mild to moderate alcohol consumption actually lowered the incidence of ED, and then when consumption became heavy and regularly, it increased the, the incidence of ED. How do you explain that one? That's kind of interesting. Well, the reason is, or the, the authors postulate, and I think it's absolutely probably correct, is from this right here. What does alcohol stimulate? Does anybody know the receptor? Do you remember from, from uh, college biology? Do you, do you remember? Close. You're in the right, you're in the right region. Benzodiazepine, do you remember that? BZD receptors? Yeah, so, so if you think about it, uh, there's some famous drugs to settle people down, right? Uh, I, I, I often give it, I call it the MRI pill. Anybody scared of an MRI? Like you can't go in the tube? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it really nice if the doctor will give you a Valium so you can get in the, get in the tube? I think I'd need one. But anyway, uh, that's a benzodiazepine receptor, Valium. Uh, other famous ones, Clonopin, Xanax, y'all probably heard of some of these names, Ambien, uh, kind of. Um, but uh, alcohol is a benzodiazepine receptor. Otherwise, it lowers that stress level. What is it doing when someone is drinking a little bit? Takes them out, more likely to take them out of fight and flight and take them down into parasympathetic. Then it becomes deleterious if they become abusive with that alcohol or heavy in that alcohol. Don't take that as a recommendation. <laughs> I'm saying take this as what, what is probably the problem here, the biggest problem, the underlying problem, stress. 
stress and anxiety because we're in the sympathetic response that is actually shutting us down physically or shutting us down um, in our sexual function. Others, and, and you know, again, you know, uh, cannabis, alcohol use, obesity, you know, the, these can be a, a sin issue. These can be a counseling issue. They're also a medical issue. Uh, but o- obesity uh, is going to increase the incidence. The largest one, by and large, is going to be diabetes. Absolutely diabetes. 3.5 times the risk factor for ED if you have a working diagnosis of ED. Others being heart disease, vascular disease. On this vascular disease, you might have heard this before, if you have severe ED, severity ED means that basically nothing can get initiated in the bedroom. Just nothing works. If you have severe ED, then you are 50% more likely to have all-cause mortality, primarily vascular, um, that might even be undiagnosed. And then iatrogenic. Iatrogenic means it's something we're actually taking. So this is our medications. So ED can be iatrogenic. We're, we somehow got onto a medication that's very bad for us. And sometimes when, when I have someone in the office who's having this problem, what's the first thing I do before I even go in the room? Like I know what they're here for. I'm looking at their medication list. See if I see a potential cul- culprit. Doesn't mean it's the culprit, but it certainly means that I just need to ask the question. That top one up there, antidepressants and other psychiatric medications, that's probably going to be the number one of all the medications. Again, I'm not saying it's doing it to every patient every time who's on one. That's probably very unfair to say that. But certainly we should scrutinize, or the physician should scrutinize, what medications the patient is taking. But these other ones can can be uh, should be looked at as well. They're going to be less common. Um, nerve injury and damage, of course, diabetes, it does that, that nerve damage, but multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, uh, back injuries. I, uh, had a, a guy in his twenties having lots of problems and his started after a, a motor vehicle accident where he hurt his low back. So he did some nerve, I think he ended up with a, uh, uh, he had a back surgery for that back and it did some, some damage and he, he was having a lot of, a lot of trouble. Uh, prostate surgeries will do this a lot. Um, ha- have y'all heard of the, um, what doctors are doing now with, with prostate cancer for about the last 10 years? It's like a big change. Robots is a big deal. Um, but this might blow your mind away. It did mine when I heard it. I was like, wow, because I always thought prostate cancer, get that thing out of there, right? We're, we're actually kind of living with prostate cancer instead of treating it in some cases. Yeah, we just watch it. All we're looking to see is, do you have the fast-growing or do you have the slow-growing? We've determined if you have the slow-growing prostate cancer, you're probably going to die at 100 from something else. We don't need to be doing these surgeries that do a lot of damage to continence and sexual function that we could avoid that and not be doing that. And so um, uh, I think that's been a big win for patients, and uh, I'm glad to see that they're trying to take this reasonable approach on who to treat and not to treat. So they actually wait for the biopsy result to see, hey, is this an aggressive form of cancer? Okay, we're going to take our chances. We're going to do the surgery, the robot, the radiation. We're going to do the stuff, and we'll have to deal with there's, if there's any side effects. doesn't mean there'll be any side effects, but the risk goes up. Uh, but in the, we're going to call it watchful waiting phase, I have several patients in the watchful waiting. We just check their blood levels every six months, and if it's kind of staying, you know, it's just going up slowly, we might get a, a biopsy every few years and just see if we can just live with cancer and not try to cure it because of the problems that it creates. 
And then hormonal levels, uh, low testosterone can be, uh, play a role or an influence on SD and ED, both. So what do we do? We're going to do a thorough history. history. Um, in, in some cases, we, we do need to do an exam. Uh, I did have uh, an, this, another one. It's, it's real important to do an exam on young men. I had a young man that was having serious issues. Uh, he was in his 20s. And uh, on exam, he had undistended testes. Otherwise, his testes were still in the lower abdomen from, from br- being an embryo. That's a big problem. That's a sterility problem. That's a cancer problem. And so in his case, he needed to go to, uh, to a specialist, so got him referred. But that was a big issue that it was just a simple exam. Um, gain labs, checking for diabetes, maybe checking a hormone level, but gaining context, you know, in that uh, history taking. Uh, one thing I'd say is, is if, if you're doing something with counseling, you don't have to come to all these details of, you know, you don't have to have them call me on the phone. Um, but, um, if, if, if you know there's intimacy issues and with, with it being the man, have them go to the doctor. What a great idea. Now, one thing I would encourage them is keep it relevant to the main thing. Don't bring. Sometimes people will bring in a list of ten things, and the most important one was the tenth because they're embarrassed about it. So after we've spent twice the amount of time we should have, and I'm really at the door trying to get on, they're like, "Hey, the reason I came in," and I'm like, <laughs> we, "I don't have any time left." So I would say, if you want to be thorough, you need to go to the doctor and say, "What are you here for?" and leave it at that, so the doctor can be thorough and ask the good questions, do the good tests, and help you the most. And so if there's a way to say you need to go to the doctor and just talk about that, <laughs> then have them do that because I think doctors stand a lot better chance of doing a good job. A family doctor is good. A urologist is good. Uh, see someone like that. Identify if there's a soul, mind, sin issue. See if the sin issues exists. I'm pretty blunt. I'll ask them. Are you watching porn? Are you, I just go through the list. Are you smoking cigarettes? Are you smoking uh, cannabis? Are you vaping? I just start going through the list. I don't know if they're going to tell me the truth or not, but it actually just the conviction of the question from their doctor sometimes I think actually does a lot for their life. So I just ask. And certainly I think if y'all have some inventories on these things, may not be a bad thing to have, to have a, a sexual intimacy um, inventory. Or we're just going to throw the questions to them and see how they respond. But I think certainly uh, the Spirit can convict just by, hey, I'm going to ask you the question. Um, and then sometimes uh, if there is medical treatment, the phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, that famous one from 1998 was Viagra. Um, it was actually, I don't know if you all remember this story, it was an accidental discovery. It was designed to be a heart pain medication. A heart pain medication that did not work. But it did something else. And so it became very famous. They made some more of them. So it came out in 1998, and that's when it was uh, marketed as uh, Viagra. How it actually works, I, I, th- I think it's uh, it be good to know this. I tell patients this all the time. It comes over to, here to this. Remember what, the, what does the shutting down of the se- sexual function of the male? It's that sympathetic nervous system. Okay? So you need to be in the parasympathetic state. That's where we need to be. And what actually does the resolution when intercourse is over is actually one, one moment for the sympathetic response to do something uh, neurochemically. 
So Viagra and that family, the phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, block that resolution or slow it down. So it blocks the resolution. So it doesn't really help you much get anything started. What it does is that maintenance, the maintenance. And so people with severe ED or just, you know, there's just a complete loss of ability, probably not going to be effective. And I tell patients that. If someone just has what we're going to call it just adequacy problems or mild to moderate problems, much more effective. Now, why would this actually help someone in... And uh, that had more of a psychosocial, that had a spiritual problem, or had why would it why would it help this person right here? Because it actually does. It's actually very effective. The reason why is many people they get caught in this. Often things can get started, but they can't get finished, and that's where the anxiety, the avoidance, and everything. And, and that's why I get really bad experiences. Well, what does the uh, the uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitor do? It, it kind of slows down that resolution. And so that way you can get out of the cycle. And I've had lots of success with short-term prescriptions, and they don't even need a refill. They just need out of the cycle. That's all they needed. Again, that doesn't mean the counseling's over. It doesn't mean there's not even bigger issues. But sometimes I, I'm going to consider it's, it's a grace of God to just get out of a bad cycle that's hurting both people. And so sometimes we can use that for that and uh, very Happy to help in that way. Uh, a few other things, uh, some supplements. Yohimbine probably has reasonable, um, it's low risk, low to moderate reward. Um, so that one might be worth mentioning. There is a supplement. And then we have other medical things we can do, medical devices, injections uh, for certain candidates, uh, surgery. So what, we can, what can we do? Probe. What are we probing about? Well, if you haven't figured out, that anxiety and that stress factor. So if there's intimacy issues, anxiety and stress, big deal. Insomnia, same family, or and or uh, in our questionnaires or just in our, you know, talk about the past. You know, childhood sexual abuse, PTSD type issues. Yeah. Is there something that's completely unresolved and not in a healthy space? Probably in the sin habits, just like I said, just be blunt. Ask the questions. I think it's only, only, only going to help. So I'm curious, how does medically it affect them by, so dealing with men and with porn issues and stuff like that, how do I explain to them how that affects them, their body, and and causes that problem? Yeah, it creates a brain change. So that sexual response, it actually starts in the brain and then sends nerves and chemical signals down through the body. And so what's happening, it's creating this habit of this is what I respond to and this is what I don't. And so you're you're creating this habit that's very harmful and it's harmful to both parties. So, yeah, you're creating a brain problem is what you're creating. Good question. So part of the action plan determines this is a spiritual or physical problem. And my question is, is it both? And so I would prefer you if, if you identify that this being uh, part of the part of the issue is make sure the men go see their doctor as well and provide good spiritual care. So refer to a physician. Here's another one. 
It, I wonder, do y'all do this much with counseling or counselees? A, a challenge and part of their homework of just getting healthier? Maybe we should, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. I was like, maybe we should do that more often, you know? Um, may, maybe, maybe I'm not the person to uh, um, hold you accountable for these sort of things. But I wonder, like, in our counseling ministries or in our churches, if we have someone who's like, they'd really love to, to serve the congregation by making meal plans, you know? Or doing that, you know, diet accountability or meeting to go walk, meeting to exercise a little bit, to try to get healthier, so to stir these bodies a little bit better, because certainly doing these things is actually going to have lots of downstream uh, health benefits, marital benefits, and relational benefits. So certainly getting healthy is part of the action plan. Building a healthy marriage, so d- doing the counseling. And then seeing if if there's anything that just needs to be altered, if they've just developed bad, we're going to say, marital habits. What might I be talking about? Let's just pretend that uh, one of the two parties is working for home. And when they get the kids down, that's when they get their best work done. You know, at 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock, this is when i got to just lock in and get my my work done, or this is when I, maybe the other situation is this, I, I'm in school full time at night. This is when I really got to lock it in and do it. And the other person is, well, there's no one here to hang out with and no one. And the intimacy doesn't even have to be sexual right now, which is, this is our formerly was our intimate time where we got to be together for an hour or two without the kids. And I'm passing out of sleep because I know you're going to be up till one o'clock pounding away and doing things. I mean, have we created really bad habits that we, we really need to, to plan to get out of those? Plan for those. Um, do we have to persist in some of these habits? Can we make an exit? Can we, can we get an off-ramp? You know, one that we plan together. And then in some cases, and this is everything, um, really this is everything medical. This is the human experience. This, this is our bodies. Is expectation not met? Sometimes there's just not a fix for some of these things, whether it be this situation or another situation. Sometimes we can't do much, but we can still be encouraging. Remember the lame man in in Acts 3 sees Peter, and what did he want from Peter? He just wanted money, right? Yeah, what did Peter tell him? You remember what he said? I don't have any. But, he gave the but. What did he have? Get up and walk. He gave him the power of Jesus. I mean, how beautiful is that? So even if in all these things and and these situations that, I hate to say it, it is what it is, man, we still have, we still have this life transforming opportunity uh, with these people. And I I just love the uh, song of, song of songs. You see uh, the, the bride, all the anticipation between the bride and the bridegroom. And, and then, you know, you don't think about this much, but in, in chapter 5, there's six verses there, 2 through 8, where you see this disappointment. The groom's not coming. Where is he at? You see this distress. And then what happens? Here comes the bridegroom. Don't we get to look? I, I pray that our relationships and our marriages picture our union with Christ in such a way 
that he's going to be getting the glory uh, no matter our earthly situation or whatever disappointments that we might have, that we're going to grow in that likeness in Christ. So that being said, let's do a couple case studies. And I, I want you all to uh, interact with me just for a second on, you know, what questions would you ask or what would you be thinking in this case? Here we go. Ethan, a 32-year-old male presented to the medical clinic complaining of sexual problems that have been worse over the last six months. I'm questioning. He reports that it started with a couple bad episodes in the bedroom where he sexually failed. And now he and his wife are having problems. She voiced her concern that he was no longer attracted to her, but he blames everything on his sexual failure and his fear of it happening every time they would have typically and historically had intimacy. They would usually have marital relations a few times each week, but for the last two months they've been together only a couple times. Ethan reports that his medical history only includes occasional asthma, and that he takes albuterol only when needed. Ethan and Emmy have been married for eight years. They have two kids. He admits that he works a lot and is stressed out about finances. He has also discovered that he resents his in-laws as he feels inadequate working in the oil field, while his father-in-law is a senior partner of a law firm and is always financially paying for things around the house for his daughter, Emily. What questions would you ask Ethan? Any thoughts? Be what, what? What? What are some bucket list things like? Hey, we got to dive into this. Father. Yeah, the father-in-law. Yeah. Sure. You, yeah, yeah. How do you relate to your family, and what does marriage mean? What does leaving and cleaving mean? I mean, lots of things there. Has it created resentment? Yeah. Is there bitterness? I get the sense there might be some bitterness there. Yeah. What's that? The comparison. Also. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This feeling of inadequacy. inadequacy. Yeah, yeah, feeling of ina- inadequacy. Do you believe you have all the information from... Is he into pornography? Is he into Exactly, yeah, yeah. Looking for other releases. Lots of good questions there, yes. Other... Yeah, how do you respond to fear and anxiety? Yep. What do y'all think about that when he said, I'm stressed about finances? When, when do people usually stress about finances? While they're at work? No, it's usually at home when you're talking to your spouse in the evening, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing he's bringing this stress into the evening time, and it's made intimacy what? He's bringing stress into it, and now he's having trouble. Yes, yes, yes. Again, creating this resentment thing. Yeah. There's another one? Ah, so, you know, there's, that would be good to dive into. You did notice that how, how did this episode make her feel? Which is very common. She felt inadequate as well, right? I'm not attractive enough or something. It's what's going on with him. And it might be worth asking some questions there, but, you know, it made her feel inadequate as well. Probably feeling like less of a man that his father-in-law is like providing for his family. Yeah, that's my job. Yeah. And so should definitely go deep into that. And uh, certainly, you know, it could be a situation where he needs to be 
he needs to rejoice and be happy with whatever gift he receives, or it could be another one where there needs to be better boundaries. It probably depends on the situation and uh, on that. He, yes, I'm glad you pointed out. He's in it, isn't he? Yeah, he's in it. He's in it. Um, if they really, if they're doing well with their counseling and they can't get out of it, I'd say go see the doctor. Maybe there can be some help there to get him out of it. But yeah, recognizing that. I think you're in this vicious cycle of things not going well. At some point, if if there's not good counsel to get him out of it, then, uh, yeah, send him to a doctor. Are they handling those two and four-year-olds? Yes, yes. Are they, are they co-sleeping in the bed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that'll kill some intimacy, won't it? <laughs> Anything happened six months ago? Oh, when all this started? I, th- I think in the, so... Uh, this is fictional. It's kind of just a very characteristic of what I see, though. Yeah, I was trying to paint the picture of that stress has been building long term, and it finally started causing bedroom problems. Now we're having a disaster, you know. And now he's bringing up old stuff. Now he's bringing up stuff about he resents his in-laws, and now she's not pretty enough, and it's just kind of all blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. All right, we'll do one more. Victor and Sylvia present to the medical clinic together. Victor's 53. He's here for an annual exam, but during the exam, Sylvia states, Doctor, he needs a little bedroom help. She explains with a smile, and Victor gives a little laugh as well. This this actually is, uh, this one's a little more true, actually. They said that right there. <clears throat> they explained that for the last year or more, Victor has had problems in Completing sexual intercourse, he explains, it works a little bit. Victor is about 40 pounds overweight for years, has taken a blood pressure medication for at least 10 years, and had blood work done last week before his visit. His blood work always showed that he was pre-diabetic, but this year his A1C was 7.2, showing that he was now full-blown diabetic. His cholesterol was above normal as usual, what questions would you ask Victor and Sylvia? So this one seems a little bit different, doesn't it? So you'd probably think case one, highly psychosocial, right? Case two, probably more on the medical side, okay? But I would still encourage you ask all the same questions anyways. Yeah. You may not be very suspicious, but often there's still this physical and there's still a social you might inquire things like what maybe how is this affecting your relationship that'd be a good question to ask they you know i i presented the case where you know and and, and i have couples who come in together and it'll be just like this where you know it's really a casual interaction and it's it's with a little bit of a chuckle and a smile but they're just asking for some help but it actually might be a little bit deeper than that. They're just, you know, putting on, you know, this uh, area of protection. Yeah, I do that a lot. Yep, sure do. Um, that one, so testosterone and EDSD, um, when you have a low testosterone level that's truly low, um, it's actually going to be more of a libido benefit than it's going to be an ED benefit, although it can give a little ED benefit. 
But if there's like a male libido issue and this testosterone's very low, then we're more likely to see a response if we replace that testosterone. Or some people want to make lifestyle changes and monitor it, which I always think is wonderful. Let's do that. Some people, that's just not going to happen for them, and they want some relief, so they would like to do hormone therapy. Um, but if the libido's low and the testosterone is low, then you're more likely to be able to medically help them. ED, maybe. And I just, I just leave it as a maybe. Might help you, might not. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Yes. I like the way you think. Yes, absolutely. And I try to present that as, hey, there are some health issues that he is not taking care of his temple as well as he should. And we need to we need to challenge him in that and maybe come alongside of him. You know, we need to get the weight off. That is going to help. We need to reverse the diabetes. His his diabetes is actually the 7.2. I'm going to assume he's not on any kind of diabetic medication because he's never been diabetic before. Um, you can actually reverse this 7.2 all the way down back to the normal 5.5 with lifestyle changes. It's not too late. Now, most of the time. If he's been diabetic for 10, 20 years, probably not. It's probably too late to do this total reversal where I just do my diet and my exercise to keep my diabetes away kind of thing. But when you've first been diagnosed, often if you really get after it, you can do a, you know, a non-medical reversal of these bad numbers and make a big, you know, big time health change. So yes, he's actually in this realm of, you know, sexual function. He's just now having problems. And they're, and they're not complete. It's not severe. He has been the same overweight for a very long time. He just now became diabetic. There's actually a lot of lifestyle problems that he can address. And, you know, we should, you know, it, it shouldn't just be up to the doctors. But I, I think challenging our counselees, you know, on taking good care of themselves, uh, getting some accountability and trying to give them those resources uh, would be a very good thing for us to do. Absolutely. Anything else for Victor, Sylvia? Any other questions? Any other generic questions? All right. One more, yeah? Just more of a general question yeah. about the medical field and believers working within the medical field. Is there any, I, I live in the Fort Worth area. Yeah. Is there any resource or website or Yeah, is there a resource for referral to yeah to Christian physicians? Uh, you know, there's a CMDA, Christian Medical and Dental Association, but they're mainly a, a missions sending organization instead of a network for you know patient referral and education. So it's uh, probably going to be word of mouth still, unfortunately. Yeah. Ah, oh, I'm looking for opportunities every day because it makes my day. Yeah, absolutely. Had had some really good interactions the last few weeks. Uh, certainly, it's um, going to be 
somewhat prevalent with this discussion, but more prevalent when I'm getting visited for anxiety, depression, these sort of things. I, I usually ask permission. Uh, you know, we're, we're taking full advantage of, you know, this remnant of Christian culture that we have in this area where I can say, is it okay if I respond to you from a Christian perspective or from a Bible perspective? And most of the time they say yes. It's it's great. And so we can have some of the um, some great discussions. Um, sometimes they come in thinking they're going to get anxiety medicine. They end up with a book recommendation. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's not quite a, a you know, a, a long, you know, counseling type setting like, you know, what, what we have in biblical counseling. Uh, but I, I think what we learn from these conferences, I, I've been coming here to this for a few cycles now. Um, I can't tell you how much of just what I learn from these programs and reading these books and this curriculum. I, I finished my last question, by the way, so I'm ready to turn those exams in. So getting there. <clears throat> um, but the uh, how we can actually put that into our everyday lives. So I, I just lucky that I get a lot of opportunities because... I see about 30 people a day and for all kinds of different things. And so it's really neat to be able to point them to the glory of God or, or creation or how, how God made this body in such a beautiful way or uh, finding false idols. I'm like, can I just tell you from the Christian perspective, you've got a false idol up there. These other people that you're worried about, they're your God because they control everything you're thinking about all day long. And you've not allowed the God of the universe to ultimately you're to be pleasing him and then seeing them the way he sees them. You see them as your God. So that's just one of my common conversations I might have with someone. Uh, so it, it creates, in my setting, these little five or ten minute examples to try to help someone point them back to their faith or back to the faith that they might have left a long time. You know, who knows where they're at, but uh, th- those are those can be really good days. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Any others? Cheers. One second, I'll, we'll do hair and then we'll move over here. Well, yes. I was just going to ask if uh, you know of any position in Fort Worth that, you know, have the perspective like you. Know, what, what church do you go to? Uh, Calvary Bible Church. Are you Calvary? Okay. <clears throat> How about I do a couple of asking and then I'll, I'll reach out to uh, Calvary to let them know. Yeah, so if you'll, who, who's your, who would be the, who would be the minister contact there for me to email to? Randy Barlow. Randy Barlow? Okay. How about I send Randy, hey, I've, I'm aware of this person, be a good person to go see. Okay, so if you'll ask Randy in a week or two, I bet he'll have an email from me. Okay. Was there another one? It it does. Um, so I. Yeah. So uh, I've I wrestled with that one for a uh, 
number of years, I'm settled in my brain on how I respond to that. So this may be a little bit of a preference, so you'll have to entertain me here. Um, someone who has struggled with obesity, for example, for a long time, and because of that obesity, they've worn their knees out. What do we do? We replace their knees, right? We still challenge them to change now, right, and to uh, get away from the the food addiction in the now. But they've got terrible damage. They're about to be in a wheelchair. We have the ability to take away some of these consequences that God has allowed us to do. And I don't think that's unbiblical at all. Um, it's the same reason I, I treat, for example, I, I don't leave an STD untreated and just let them suffer the consequences of it. I treat it, absolutely. Uh, and so in this occasion, even though I'm going to be challenging him, I'm going to be given what I'm going to call common grace ministry to him as a physician. And so, and we're doing that all the time, are we not? A lot of us in our jobs are, are giving common grace love to believers and unbelievers, some that really need to be called out of their sin, but we do things for them and do charitable things for them all the time to the glory of the Lord. And so certainly with Victor here, beside, if he does not meet my challenge, and let's say he's a believer, but he's not meeting the challenge of changing some of the lifestyle things he needs to ch- change, would I treat his diabetes medically? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I sure would. Can you explain to him his band aid, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we're, we're fine. Uh, no, I, I, I got a, I, I got a patient on 260 units of insulin right now that's just gushing and we're putting patches all over this because I, we can't get the Twinkies out of the mouth. I mean, it's really bad. And we, we keep having the same conversations, same conversations and we're doing the best we can, but you know, 260 units of insulin is just crazy, but we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah.